So the AI gives automation, it gives data, and then you need that process and you have to have the right experience so that you can put and empower that legal professional. And so that is actually really the key is the binding of those two. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Modern Business Operations. I'm your host, Seth Colliner, and I'm here today with Brendan Raybuck, who is the Chief Revenue Officer at ClearLaw. Brendan, if you want to just start, give us a little bit about your background and uh, your current role and, and how you got there. Yeah, thanks for having me, Seth. So as you mentioned, I'm Brendan Raybuck. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer over at ClearLaw, which is an artificial intelligence company in the legal tech space. I'm as Chief Revenue Officer. My role includes running sales, marketing, and our partnerships, which also includes our partnership with Tonki. So thanks for having me. My road to this has been an interesting one. I am not a legal tech person originally. I actually really come out of the marketing tech space. So I spent 15 years in marketing technology, kind of mostly in the kind of content management, website, email campaign, ecosystems. And I think I've done pretty much almost every role in, in that industry in those 50 years. I did sales, marketing, inside sales. I did consulting work, either as business analyst or project manager, and kind of wrapped my career up as an executive in that space running a region for a digital agency. So I... I've done a little bit of everything in the digital marketing space. We were getting a call from a good old friend of mine, Jordan Rittenauer, our CEO, who happens to have gone to high school with me. And one thing led to another, ended up as, as chief revenue officer in legal tech, which has been a, a really exciting journey for me. That's terrific. It's, it's amazing how we get to the places we get to. It always seems to be pretty roundabout. But let's talk about the current state of legal tech, just kind of to set, set the stage here a little bit. Unlike a lot of areas of technology, it seems like the legal tech space is still growing and evolving and has really for the past few years. You know, are, where are we at right now? Are there clear winners or is it still, you know, kind of wide open? I think it's completely wide open. And I think this comes from the fact that there are a lot of companies that have gotten into the space and they're all sort of approaching legal tech in very different ways. So I think the paradigm of what legal needs hasn't even been fully fleshed out. You have AI companies coming in saying, hey, look, this is how we're going to enhance the legal experience. Some of them are probably right. Some of them are wrong. I'm even seeing sort of in the greater kind of content contract CLM, the contract lifecycle management space, a lot of companies that do things in a very different set of ways, approaching that experience either from buyer side, with the sales side contracts first or sort of overall relationships with their clients or prospects first. It's kind of an evolving space. And I think as a result, it's still very wide open. I think we really are just at the beginning of this sort of transformational moment that's going on kind of in the greater legal tech space. Mm. That makes it an exciting time for a lot of people and also a little unsettled for others. But you've seen this sort of data-heavy digital transformation happen before. And I wonder... You know, what are you seeing in legal tech today that you saw in mark tech, especially as it pertains to the importance of data and the use of data and just, you know, generally how it's being applied? Yeah. And, and I think you could apply it even to a few other industries. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of enter marketing tech when I came out of college in 2008. And it was a really very interesting kind of transformational time. You know, the web and digital was evolving and you were getting the early introductions of using data and to a certain extent, some of the basic sort of A-B testing 
on things like websites or emails, you know, hey, I bought this product previously, show me a related product on the website. But that all has to be based on data, right? You need to understand what that person bought beforehand. But as the amount of data that organizations were able to capture about an individual, what they bought previously, were they looking at competitors' websites, you know, pulling data from third-party sources? Do I know their rough age or what their income level is or, you know, what their Google search history was? Pulling all together, you're able to build these robust profiles about customers and then really create those personalized digital experiences all based on data. And what I think happened is it really transformed the way that marketers operate. I I do this joke about, like, if you want to see how marketers used to operate, go watch like an old episode of Mad Men. And then when you talk to marketers today, right, what's the first thing they all do? They log into some technology when they get to work. Often something like Google Analytics, like, what happened on my website last night, you know? And so the role of marketer fundamentally changed to being someone who created content and interacted with things in a certain way to people who are inherently data-driven. And what then I think happened from there is once you had that data, you were able to automate a lot of your processes. So you really became an orchestrator of experiences, looking at what you were putting out in video, what you're putting out in digital marketing, what your spend looks like. And then from a single computer orchestrating, how is that going to affect the journeys or customer journeys I have across something like web, across mobile devices, across email? How do they balance from one device to another? And being able to orchestrate all of those experiences from a central location is that journey that marketers went through. And I actually see that I think that same process is going to apply here in, in legal. I think today, right, an attorney will read a contract and they'll redline it, they'll send it back to someone. But I think about a world where what if those processes were not just automated, but you turned that legal professional inside a corporation, inside in-house counsel into an orchestrator. At Clear Law, we spend a lot of time talking about data democratization, which is, you know, a lot of the data within contracts, well, some of it's in legalese and is valuable to the legal team. You know, with your payment terms, does not really matter to legal. It, it's really important to your finance team. If your client has auto renewal rights or can you increase the price on them or what their SLA is, yeah, that's really valuable to your customer support team as a result. So we really view that all the data within contracts is really valuable to a lot of different parts of the organization. And if you can disseminate that information to across the organization, what you can also do is also embed legal operations into all of those areas. So how can you use legal to increase sales, to speed up your conversion process, to make sure that you negotiate faster with clients? How do you put legal into marketing where, hey, you know, I'm letting you know exactly whose logos you're allowed to use marketing team and where can you use it? I had a conversation recently with a staffing organization and in the healthcare space, and they staff people at hospitals, other places who inherently will touch narcotics and other medications. Well, they require background checks. And those background checks often include something like a drug test. Like that's something that would simple make sense inherent to all of us. But like, when does that drug test need to be? Did it have to be in the last six months? It has to be when they come on site. All of that gets built into a contract. And so that information is really critical. And I think if you can disseminate that information, the future will be legal operations teams putting, being able to intertwine themselves with the rest of corporate operations. And I think what that does is it elevate chief legal officers and the legal team to become strategic partners 
to the rest of the business. I think today, and you know, there are going to be people who are not going to be super, who are going to say, hey, that's not true. And I think this is not supposed to be true, but I think it is. I think a lot of organizations look at legal departments and think that's a necessary expense so that I can do the basics so I don't get sued. I think what we're trying to do here at Clear Law and what I'm seeing in the industry with the advances in AI is as you get to embed and accelerate those legal experiences, you turn legal into a thought leader who is really enhancing the rest of the organization. But I, I think it's really, again, it's really similar to what marketing happened. I think marketing, people used to think that was an expense, a necessary expense you had to do. And now today, you know, a marketer will go, hey, look, I'm looking at my conversion rates through our ads. And if we double our spend on, we might be able to get, you know, X four million dollars. It's not viewed as an expense. It's in viewed as investment. I think the same thing will happen corporately. That's a great answer. There's a lot to unpack in there. So one of the things that stands out to me and, and listeners on this podcast will know that what I'm about to say, because I talk to people in different verticals and everyone says the same thing right now. Everyone wants to be strategically aligned with the business and no one wants to be in a silo. I have a theory that it's largely generational. When millennials, I'm an elder millennial, when we hit the workforce, we were very misunderstood. You know, it was like, I wish these kids would just shut up and do their jobs. And it just never occurred to us generationally, I think, to do that because we wanted to contribute to the strategic goals of the business. It, it's never occurred to us not to do that. And so now as we've aged up, you know, the oldest millennials are we're in our early 40s now. Well, now we're the directors and the leaders and the C-level folks. So we're bringing that, those values to bear. And it's like, yeah, why would you be in a, in a silo? Because I have all this to offer. I'm a creative person. I'm smart. I, I want the business to succeed. I want my teammates and other departments to succeed. I want my team to succeed. And to do that, I want to understand what our shared goals are and we get in there and, and contribute in some way. So I have this working theory that shows up a lot on this podcast about that. This episode is brought to you by Tonkeen. Tonkeen's process experience platform seamlessly wraps around existing policies and systems, allowing internal service teams to do more with what they already have. Build process experiences that are personalized for each requester and use AI to automate the intake, triage, and resolution of every request. Maximize adoption, compliance, and efficiency with no change management and no code. I was going to say that's so true. I, I consider myself an elder millennial as well. I think, yeah, that's certainly a generational thing where we are, I think, is generation inspired to contribute in ways that the job description is important, but like at the same time, you know, we're willing to put on the other baseball cap and try something different because if it helps the team in that moment, we're all working to a shared goal. I think that is something about our generation. I do think in legal tech, where I'm focused now, part of the problem has been is that legal has historically been this black box, right? Like lawyers go to law school, they get trained a very specific way. It, they have a, a secondary college experience that most of us don't have. It's the Socratic method. I'm surrounded by lawyers, actually. Like I'm, our founder is a lawyer. My wife is a lawyer. My sister-in-law is a lawyer. My my cousin that I'm close with, like I'm surrounded by attorneys within my day job. So, you know, I kind of have a little bit of understanding of what they went through and it's just different. And then when legal comes in, it's become this black box. And, you know, I think there's an aspect with technology of the technology really hasn't been designed to provide that visibility to the rest of the organization. I mean, we had a client recently who extracted data using our tool. 
And then the place they wanted that data, they did push it back into their contract tool. But at the end of the day, it actually flowed down to their marketing department in Salesforce. So they were using that data to their marketing and sales teams and even their customer support team. Like, what's that person's SLA? When does this person renew? And then they were realizing that, you know, that information could go back and forth between marketing and sales or even the finance department. Hey, look, we'll accept whatever payment terms, just get the deal done because cash flow is great. Like legal doesn't have any visibility into that. They've just been given guidelines. But if you can make that situation dynamic where, hey, look, the legal department in the negotiation of the contract is going to really tighten on payment terms because cash flow is now becoming an issue. That's something that you could happen and happen dynamically based on real-time data. I think sales departments, you know, with Salesforce have had a tool that's friendly and that people, uh, everyone else can log into and have visibility into. And I think marketing has had things where they can easily produce reports, you know, and said, Hey, look, this is our conversion rate executives. Legal really hasn't had that. And I think on top of that sort of generational change, you do need to empower people with the right tooling. And I think particularly legal tech, it just hasn't been there historically. I think, and this is goes back to I think your original question about, are there clear winners? I think there's still people getting into this transformation. Like, I haven't even started yet. Like, I see companies raising money in this space. Like, oh, we're going to do a startup, raise money like right now. So I think there, there certainly is a need. Everyone's kind of popping into it right now. And of course, there'll be winners and there'll be losers. Hopefully, Clearlo over here is a winner. Hopefully, because the Tom team will be winners. But yeah, it'll be an interesting space to, to look at for the next, th- I think, two to five years. Sure. Well, and I like the way you describe this as making people orchestrators. That's language that Tonkin uses a lot with, with what we do. But, you know, the way you're talking about it really articulates, I think, that's what good technology is for, right? We don't need to do everything manually, but we do need to communicate. We do need to make sure we have good data. We have to make sure it's connected to systems and it's accessible to people, and, and which is a whole different set of skills. And technology can certainly help us do that. But yeah, sitting there, you know, essentially our computers are consoles, right? And we're working through it. And yeah, if we can give actionable data to the marketing folks, to the sales folks, you know, from legal, then yeah, that's going to be pretty fantastic. And it, you know, it's just data. A lot of it's just, it's names and numbers and addresses, and it should be able to slide easily from contracts to Salesforce to, you know, whatever systems you've got. Right. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's been historically harder. I think one good legal is a black box. And the other challenge is contracts are weird. You know, something like a click on a website is easy. It's just click. Yes, no, right? But when you get into like legal content, it can't be unreasonably withheld. Something that I've seen in a lot of contracts. But I think to a lot of people, it's like, what does that even mean? You know? And so, and there are a hundred different ways to basically write the same legal obligation. And it's not always in plain English. The term legalese as like a language, right? So it's been hard to turn that into a form of data that you can if you're going to automate processes and then automation sort of leads to that orchestration, you need to be able to transform into data and make that data point consistent and reliable and repeatable so that you get the same thing over and over again and you can automate off of it. So if you say something like, I have a limitation of liability clause, someone puts that as restrictions on liability. Well, you know, computers are very designed to be sort of yes, no, is this or is this not? But our language is very fluid, just inherently the way we speak, the way we talk, and then we write things, even if it's just plain English, or even legalese. 
So there's an aspect if you have to transform contracts into a form of data that can be used and then automated against. And I think what this transformational moment is, why this transformational moment is happening right now is because of things like ChatGPT coming out into the marketplace, right? AI has created this opportunity for legal tech to transform data potentially into that repeatable format that then you can automate again. We use the term all the time when we talk to clients, pandemic versus quarantine. Pandemic's very common for us to use today because we all went through the pandemic, but it wasn't common before 2020. But there are people who had things in contracts that basically referenced a pandemic, something like a you know health quarantine crisis or something like that, right? They're really talking about the same underlying data point, but with the language being unspecific, how do you automate off of that? How do you bind those two objects into a single data point? And that's where I think the promise of AI is really evolving that. And then once you can do that, then it can go into, you know, like technology like Tonkin or other orchestration tools. And then you can automate off that data, which is critically important. And that's, you know, where we're playing at ClearLaw is the ability to pull all that data. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, and let's drill down a little bit on an even more specific part of that. Talk about the democratization of contract data a little bit more. So we, we talk about democratization of data, but you, you guys do something very specific and I think very difficult, probably surprisingly difficult, which I think you've been speaking to a little bit, but say a little more about the democratization of contract data specifically. Yeah. I mean, I think I spent a little bit of time on this before, you know, the data within contracts is just usable to the whole business, like business to business relationships are built entirely on contracts and they govern everything from how you create publicity, how do you pay for things? If there is a problem in that relationship, how do you deal with it? You know, things like termination for convenience clause versus termination for breach clauses. Are there cure periods for your termination with it for breach? They govern your response times in your SLA. They govern what happens when you want to break up in that relationship. How do you renew that relationship? And so when you think about it, like there isn't a business department that if you engage in two business to business relationships, a partnership, a client, provider relationship, a software provider to an organization, every part of your business is affected by that. So I, I spent a little time talking about like human resources or staffing or related things. But you know, this is probably something your marketing team has happened. I've worked for SaaS software companies before in the past, and, and sometimes you give a client a discount, right? Because they agree to publicity. And then that gets put in the contract, contract gets filed away. And then a year later, your marketing department's like, okay, we're gonna redesign the website. Whose logos are we now allowed to use? Call the sales team. Who'd you give a discount to? I don't remember. I mean, it's hit and it's somewhere, right? But like, I'm busy doing my work. Like, don't go bother me, right? And then it becomes a whole exercise for the marketing department to go through contracts and to figure out what all those rules are. Do they need permission? Can they just use the logo? Do they have to go over that material beforehand with that client or partner so that they can ensure that they're compliant with the contract? You know, sales teams around auto renewal. There's a really big one that we see a lot. In fact, about a fourth of the people I talk to are heads of sales because they want data off of those contracts in order to you know, continue to manage those relationships, customer support teams, SLAs, and those types of stuff. Finance and accounting departments also critical within that, right? Like if you can automate the payment process of going, okay, I've got this client. When do they pay? How do they pay? All those types of things. And so I think all that data going out from your contract is super valuable to every single business unit within your organization. And I think the problem today, right, is that we generally lock those contracts away. 
Like they go into some file structure, they go into SharePoint, they go into people's hard drives. And then what happens is that people generally get okay because the contracts generally follow the same pattern. It's when something goes wrong and you need to respond and you have to do that quickly. And it's particularly hard to do, if you have to do it with a single client, that's difficult. But if you have something like you get hacked and you have a data security breach notification period, unless you have thousands of customers with thousands of contracts, you know, you won't refinish reading those contracts to get that piece of information by the time all those notice periods go away, right? So that's one of those things that can help you get, you know, get hurt or sued or those type of things. Simple things like an organization either getting wired or uh, we had this happen with a client recently. They were get re just simply reincorporating, right? Would be from something like an S corp to an LLC or vice versa. I, I don't remember the specific details. You do that, they had thousands of customers and they had to assign their contracts to the new organization. Every contract's got an assignment clause. It's operational, it's not that important. You know, I don't think their clients were intending on canceling just because they were reincorporating, but you have to follow all those rules. Otherwise, people either in breach of your contract, naturally get sued, people can end their relationships with you. And that can be for a simple exercise that really isn't supposed to affect the organization, like reincorporating. It could be thousands of hours of manpower just to read contracts. And then you take into account that if you negotiate on lots of different types of paper, so maybe you're using your paper on some of them, but clients paper at other times, like, so you have all these different templates floating around, like you can't just go to the same spot over and go, okay, yes, I need to notify them in 30 days, 30 days, 30 days, 45, 60, 30, 30. It's like, well, okay, these contracts know where they are. Where is it in this one? Is it even in this one? I don't know. Then you didn't find it like, okay, I now you gotta read three times. And I think that's one of the things about data democratization, like all of that data is critical, but if it's locked up in PDF, which isn't even particularly searchable, even though control left doesn't even work particularly well on most PDFs, that just becomes an right. impossible task for organizations. And they need that data to do all their operations. So uh, is everything you're saying there, is that the problem to solve or is that the thing to do? Like, is the problem been solved and that just needs to be done or are we still stuck on it? Well, I think that's where the moment is. And that's what we say we're doing now. I would say at Clear Law, we've got this great AI tool that does a lot of that. Is it perfect? No. And conceivably, it will never get to the point of perfection. There will always be some way of writing things or even new legal concepts that pop up that just haven't happened before and AIs simply can't train on them. But what we're doing is kind of, and I think this is really important, is blending that artificial intelligence and those experiences that you can create in tools with the knowledge that exists within those legal departments. So it's a way of speeding up that work and automating some of those processes. But also at the same time, every one of the tools in the space says, well, we're not providing legal advice, right? We are simply accelerating the experience. And so you need to insert real people into that process. So the AI gives automation, it gives data, and then you need that process and you have to have the right experience so that you can put and empower that legal professional. And so that is actually really the key is the binding of those two. And I would think one, I think when it comes to just the automation of legal work, there is, there's still a lot of opportunity to improve that experience. I still hear consistently from organizations that have like fully built CLM contract lifecycle management platforms. They're still downloading, pulling documents out of the system and doing things manually and then loading them back in. So you're not, you have to improve the tooling there to get adoption. And then I think on the AI side where clear law plays, you need to continue to get into your sea of data, 
depth of data as well. It's one thing to just extract a clause and say, hey, this is your limitation of liability clause. And at the same time, then you have to have your little threshold go up. I still have to read it to find out what's in there. So if you go to another depth of data, you don't. Here are the specific legal obligations. Here are the dates you need to know. Here are the timeframes you need to know. Here are the you know response periods you need to know. That's kind of that next step that's happening right now in legal tech AI. That's where clear law is playing. And I think that will open up quite a bit of possibilities to improve both the automation by finding that was the right level of data. And moving on to the, the boilerplate portion of the interview, what is the best advice you've received in your career? <laughs> I had so much trouble when you sent me this over and all. I take a look at it because I'm like, <laughs> I've received a lot of good advice and I've actually received a lot of bad advice. <laughs> well, honestly. we won't test you on whether it's the actual best, like any good piece of advice will do. But I think one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given is that it is okay to challenge people. I think in business, especially when you start out young in your career, you are listening and, and trying to absorb everything and not kind of push. But I think it really is okay to challenge people's assumptions about stuff, not doing it in a rude way or an aggressive fashion. You have to be polite about the way you do it. But I think that's how you really build an understanding about things within your career. And when you challenge people's underlying assumptions about things, it allows you to take a step back and go, okay, well, I was asked to do this, but now that I understand why I'm being asked to do this, is that going to solve that problem? Is there a better way to do it? And I think that's where you get innovation, even on a small scale of just like, hey, look, I know you asked me to do this, but I think there's a better way to do this now that I understand what you're really after. And then I think that's what creates opportunities within the marketplace as well, which is when you challenge that assumption about, hey, legal just wants to work in Word all of the time and nothing else. Well, if you can challenge that assumption, hey, maybe what if I built you something that was actually better? I think that's what creates a lot of innovation and opportunity within the marketplace. So one of the biggest pieces of advice I have, and I, I actually do when I coach you know, young salespeople or young people who've worked for me, it is okay to challenge you know, your superiors. It's okay to challenge your prospects or clients on the way they're thinking about things. You got to do it politely, but that's how you really engage with them. That's how you build confidence. And I think it's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given in my career. Love it. So is there anything you want to promote or share about yourself or your company? And if people want to contact you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so ClearLaw. I think we're trying to become the leading data provider of contract information by getting to a depth of data with inside it to, so that you could do that automation and orchestration around legal work. And exclusively, we're focused in that area. So we're the AI kind of provider. I think of us as kind of the data champion for the industry, but we actually plug into a lot of different technologies. So I think what's nice about that is you can get that depth of data, but within the experience that you're most comfortable with. So for, you know, joint clients between our two organizations, talking customers can then get the value of the depth of legal data through an integration, but still maintain that experience that they're comfortable and used to, which I think helps the adoption and usability for a lot of joint customers. That's who ClearLaw is. And again, if they would like to get in contact, they can hit our website at clearlaw.ai. And they could also just hit me directly on my email as the head of sales can route them to the right person. So, and it's my first name at clearlaw.ai. So Brendan at clearlaw.ai, not Brandon. A lot of people make that mistake. Brandon dot at clearlaw.ai will get you nowhere, unfortunately. Brendan Raybuck, CRO at ClearLaw. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkeen.com slash mbopod. 
Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkin community at tonkin.com community.